All right, bradcooney.com would like to welcome to the show from the hit TV show Ancient Aliens. Also, he's the author of the book Divine Science, Finding Reason at the Heart of Faith, physicist and vice provost of teaching and learning at the University of California, Irvine. Please welcome Professor Michael Denon. What is up, Michael? Oh, it's just great to be back here. It's, it's, it's exciting to actually be doing anything at this point in time. I mean, seriously. I'm particularly excited to chat with you again, Brad. Man, it's really, it's really, I've been excited to, um, ever since I announced that we're going to get you back on the show, I have a lot of social media followers that were excited to hear from you, because you have, you have a, you have a pretty cool fan base. You go from ancient aliens to your books and, and, you know, so you got a pretty good little fan base yourself. Yeah, and it, it's kind of nice. The ancient alien people actually recognize me occasionally when I'm in public, and I have to admit, I kind of miss that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, no kidding, man. So, so I guess I'm just like most of the film industry, they've probably stopped filming because of the uh, COVID, right? Yeah, we, we had one, one filming session they were able to do in my lab just because we have so many. It was at a time where we still had a lot of really good cleaning protocols and you could have some people in socially distanced and such. Um, so in the spring, I was able to sneak one filming in with them. So a lot of that, I don't know if you know, I should have told you this, I've started getting small appearances on Unexplained Phenomena mm. um, that Will Shatner's hosting with them. It's the same production people. Yeah. Um, and so we filmed a few episodes of that. So that's an interesting move, sort of, you know, away from aliens into general unexplained stuff. Yeah, but that's still cool, though, man. I mean, especially William Shatner, are you kidding me? That's Jim Duck. Well, Jim. I haven't got to meet him. That's my life goal. I told Prometheus, it's like, if you're going to have me do this, you have to arrange for me to meet him. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Oh, my God. I mean, I would love to meet him. I'm such a huge Trekkie, man. I mean, my dad was a Star Trek fan back in the 70s. And I grew up in the, you know, with the original series and to the Star Trek oh, Next yeah. Generation and all the other spinoffs. Yeah, man. All right, so last time I talked to you, it was I'm, I'm pretty sure it was right after you released your book. Um, so what's yeah, been going? Right. Yep. So so what's been going on lately? I mean, I mean, we touched a little bit earlier off the record about you you have a new passion with archery, and we'll talk about that. But what's been going on um, since the book release? Well, I think one of the main things is I've really um, spent some time focusing on the, the science outreach um, using popular um, TV shows and movies, which I've sort of doubled down on. Uh, a couple of guys and I are doing a podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technology. And you mentioned Star Trek. We did an entire month on Star Trek. Um, that was one theme. And, you know, of course, when Mandalorian came out, we did that. Um, we've done Back to the Future. I have, you know, I saw on your Twitter you sharing a tweet about Back to the Future, and, and our team views that as one of the best three movies ever. Yeah. And we did a lot of the tech in there. Um, and now we've been doing some cartoon physics and tech. We just recorded, we're recording a Hanna-Barbera month. Nice. And I just love it because I think, you know, the ability to speculate on what we as humans might be able to accomplish has been something I've always loved, but also try and keep it grounded in the physics we know and the physics we don't know and so i just have a lot of fun talking about that so it's a venue that's really you know allows me to have fun in that space yeah man it's so important to have a something that you can decompress from all the stresses in the world and have a little fun doing and um it's really important And, and and i think the peak of that fun was when we actually explained um how santa claus works 
um, and allowed me to actually, I, I have a whole new, whole new theory of that <laughs> process <laughs> by which he delivers all the presents. Yeah. So, um, that's awesome. You know, which is, which is clearly an important topic for many people. Very important. Are you kidding me? Very important. All right. So, um, of course, you, um, you're very, very, very involved with, with the school you work at. So how, how have you been dealing with the COVID pandemic as it relates to, oh, I don't know, 30,000 students or so? Um, can, you, can you build on that a little bit for us? I will. I will, Right. You know, I'll tell you, this has been, I think that's made it probably for me, uniquely and personally, one of the strangest years of my life, right? Because... Um, certainly, you know, I've been blessed, knock on wood, so far, immediate family, we've been safe, we've been healthy. Um, but you can't, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you can't have lived the last year and not be aware of the impact that this has had on people's lives. Mm. And yet at the same time, I found myself in this major leadership role as the pandemic hit. And I don't know about other people, but I've always wondered, like, how would I respond in moments of crisis if I actually had some responsibility? And it's weird. I mean, it's only a year after it. And, and I look back and I'm like, wow, knock on wood, I'm going to sound arrogant, but I don't think we did that badly. Wow, you know, nice. It wasn't just me. It was the whole team. But I still remember, you know, we had a week left in our quarter in the winter. And it was as California was starting to potentially have to shut down. And the question was, you know, do we, do, what do we do with classes now? What do we do with finals? Um, and we had the conversation and we, we decided it's a week. We're going to finish our classes, but finals the next week, we're going to switch to completely remote. And we had four days and it was my office that had to get faculty the help they needed, students the help they needed to figure out how to navigate in four days, switching something we've only ever done in person to fully remote. And wow. I just give such credit to the faculty and the students at UCI, because they get, you know, academics get harassed for not being able to move quickly, but they needed to and they did it. Um, and, you know, and then we had a one week spring break and we at the same time announced when we come back, everything's remote. And you've got, you know, the week of finals and the week of spring break to get this done and here's what we have to help you. And the, you know, the leadership was willing to spend the money needed to do that, even though we knew there was a financial crisis looming. We're like, we've got to support people. It's what you need to do. And to get our students the internet and the laptops they needed, um, it was just amazing to be part of a team that mobilized in support of people to get them what they needed. It was, so during this total crisis and horrible time, I was working harder than I've ever worked in my life and just seeing these positive outcomes and impacts on people. Mm. It, it's, I wish I was someone who could actually keep a diary because I feel like someone might want to study that someday, but unfortunately I'm not. You know, that's really, when you think about that, if you zoom out and take a look at what you and your team did and the amount of students that it impacted, it, um, it's like, I mean, that's like life-altering stuff. I mean, because if they wouldn't have had the chance to learn because of the... Yeah, you know, because of this virus, who knows what different paths they might have had to take? You know, not not as optimal okay. as the ones they, that they get yeah. to take now. And and the other thing about it, you know, prior to this, it was weird. I've always had the thought, well, you know, at least I'm not doing like surgery or something medical. You know, obviously education's critical; people depend on it. But there's only so much I could screw up in my job. 
And here we were making decisions, you know, that not only impacted their education the way you said, that was at a critical time for people, but now we're dealing with this public health crisis. And I just really thank, thank God every day that we have one of the leading schools of public health and the dean of it, who we had just recently hired as an absolute expert in this. And she was just amazing to have around as a resource so you feel comfortable you're making smart decisions for the students and faculty yeah man um what what are your thoughts on the younger kids because i heard i heard dr fauci and some of the other ones are saying that that schools are fairly safe for younger children the younger kids um but my concern is like because i remember you know my, my my childhood being in school like in person with people like it helps formulate your personality and your socialization skills and so these younger yeah. kids that missed out on that I mean, what are your thoughts on that no it's interesting it's going to be i i have i have sort of my my two weird thoughts on it first it's obviously going to be tough for a lot of the kids yeah. but i also look I, I love history and i look back through history and it reminds me that humans are amazingly resilient. Yeah, true. I mean, you know, people have lived through world wars. People have lived through, um, you know, the 1918 flu, people epidemic. People have lived through things. And is it hard? Certainly. Um, does it cause various other challenges down the road that you have to revisit and, 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 and um, address again, most likely? But it's weird. We, we, we get through it as humans. Um, and... You know, I, I think you pointed to the thing that's probably the bigger challenge for our students, you know, our kids right now. I mean, I'm lucky my kids are, are 17 and older, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, for them, it's been a different challenge. It's not those formative years. You know, for really young kids, this is going to, you know, it'll have an impact. But at the same time, they're also the most flexible, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'm, I'm hopeful for them. You know, people do ask me, ah. They've lost a year of their education. What's that going to do? And then, then the sarcastic part of me comes out and goes, you know, most people lose at least one year of their education to a bad teacher somewhere in the system. And I say that with my mom's a teacher, my, my wife's a teacher, <laughs> my sister's a teacher. Teachers yeah. are awesome. I love teachers. But a few of them are not the best. Uh, you know? Absolutely. 100%. And, and part of life is learning how to deal with these little challenges and so I always told my kids if you ended up with a teacher that wasn't great you were staying with them and figuring out how to get through it I wasn't going to go in and get you out of that that's funny it's true though it's really true I can think back and most of my teachers were were amazing matter of fact a few of my teachers actually were Facebook friends I mean and we're talking I graduated in 1984 we've reconnected and it's great but yeah but there are a couple that that I can reflect back to I'm like you know what that wasn't my favorite teacher right there and um so that's true yeah and, and sometimes it's weird like like i remember you know in my high school the, the the it was known that the person who taught you know ap u.s history was just mean and i, I well part of it was he also was the soccer coach and i played soccer so that gave a different relationship mm-hmm. and i could see where people thought he was mean but it was like the one course in high school that wow you really learned to write and mm-hmm. so there is this balance like what is What's mean for one person is like hard work and fun for another person. So yeah. it's hard to judge all the time. <clears throat> I'd say one more thing on school, then we'll move on to your archery passion that you've developed. Um, right. I remember in, when I was in school, I took a typing class. 
um, just for like extra credit. And I mean, I'm telling you, that typing class is probably, other than your basic math and English and history, of course, but that typing class benefited me the most, I think, than any other class I ever took. I can believe it. I needed one so bad. I still remember the night where my mom looked at me and said, this one time, I'll type your paper for you. Because, you know, it's two in the morning, you need sleep. But <laughs> you're typing <laughs> slower than a turtle. But you've got to learn to type. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, so you, you're telling me that you're, you, you developed a new hobby, a passion for archery, yeah. man, bow and arrow. So talk to me about that. So this is, this is one of those funny, in my mind, funny stories. I don't know if anyone else will find it funny. I've loved archery since um, I went to the one time I went to camp as a kid, and they let you fire a whole three arrows. Yeah. And that was all I got to fire the whole week. But I'm like, this is for me. I loved it. I hit the target. Nice. Uh, it, you know, I love fantasy novels. You know, I love it on TV, the Middle Ages. And I just never, you know, found the time or moment to really do it. Um, and my eldest daughter... Um, bought herself a bow about two years ago um, and, and just a, a straightforward simple you know recurve bow and we have an outdoor range here in, in Orange County that's free it's in a public park Nice. and she was going and I went once or twice with her and, and I did the Groupon thing once to do it and I'm like I'm sitting there as the pandemic's getting started going okay my barely employed daughter can afford a bow I think as a vice provost of teaching and learning, it's time to commit. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I went and got one. And, you know, this was back in, in the spring. And I just love it. I, you know, like I said, we've got this free range. It's outdoors, so it's social distance. It was it was closed very briefly at the peak, peak of the pandemic. But um, it's, it's a very safe place to be. Everyone, you're just sort of automatically social distance because of how far apart the targets are. Um and I just find it, I have this kind of memory of reading the Zen and the Art of Archery and just it being very meditative. And that's what I find it. It's just, I, it's my relaxation to go and do. Um, and I find I'm just good enough to not get frustrated, but just bad enough to have something, you know, to aspire to. Yeah. I'm getting to work on it. Um, and my, my goal is to go at least once a week. I'd like to get up to more, but right now I'm, I'm pretty busy been able to do that and you know it it's just it's just a ton of fun and there you know you, you, you get to actually see people you know even at a distance so that's always nice yeah absolutely yeah i i picked up a um, a midlife hobby um in metal detecting i i, I love it oh. i love it i love I would it i think that would be also kind of very relaxing and kind of meditative absolutely and Absolutely. I'm, I'm, there's, I live in Mississippi, so there's a lot of areas in the state that has Civil War relics. And, oh, my God, um, yeah. And, like, a lot of it's off-limits because it's, you know, some, some, some of the properties are, like, state-owned. and But there's some spots that are public land that we researched, and there's this one area that's, that's a, where a, con, a Confederate regiment camped. And I have found uh, what they call J-hooks, just the hooks that hook the backpack to their uniforms. I found buttons off uniforms. I found a South Carolina regiment um, button, and I knew that from the palmetto tree that's, that you can still see on the button. A ton of Civil War drop bullets. It's so fun. It's just so fun. Oh, that would be exciting. Yeah, I do have one goal. Right, like my my bow is about a thirty pound bow, and and I usually shoot at twenty yards. I can do thirty and still. 
kind of not have too many arrows miss the very large target. <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking at that 100-yard target going, I'm wondering if my bow could even go that far. That's a whole football <laughs> so, field. Yeah, it's a whole football field. So, so someday when, if I get there real early and no one's around, I might sneak down and just see what yeah. I shoot at that. Let one, let one rip and see if you can make it 100 yards. Yep. That's awesome. All right, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of some things here. Um, first and foremost, we were very blessed to have you appear in the film, The House in Between. Um, it, it did very well. It's doing well. Um, and you made, you know, you're a part of that, so we appreciate that. Um, no, that was that was a pleasure to do. Always, always fun to kind of think about those sort of questions. Yeah, man. So let's pick up a little bit more on that because we still have objects that move in that house um, that shouldn't be. I mean, the stuff that moves in that house does not move in my house. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I I need answers. I mean, we, we, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, that ball has come down the steps numerous times now, um, and different steps, too, and different balls. It's not just the same ball. It's different balls. It's different steps. Um, other objects move, not just round objects either. So can you um, touch on that a little bit more? I mean, you were in the film, but I got you a little bit longer than, than what you appeared on in the film, so I want to take this opportunity to pick your brain a little bit more. What What do you think is going on here? Uh, why are objects moving that shouldn't be moving? You know, I think I, I always when when I think about these things, there's kind of the two two ways. Um, you know, I kind of wrap my head around it. One, I'll, I'll call the the sort of very conservative physics approach, um, and and that is, you know, th- there's there there's you know likely not likely there can be just things um that are more normal than we would expect whether it's sort of subsonic vibrations you can't feel or particular shifting of you know you know the house is built in a certain way that it tends to shift and that kicks things you know and it's not a very satisfying explanation because it has to do with the fact that at the end of the day, a, a lot of these things, it's hard to know exactly all the pieces to measure to capture what would be the, quote, standard physics explanation of mm-hmm. it. So when I see things like that, I mean, part of me is like, okay, this is, this is less about that there's something radical going on and more about that, okay, I just don't understand the full picture and haven't measured all the things. So I always like to throw that out there because it's what I call my conservative physicist, um, sounds like I'm just kind of punting the question answer. Well, it's not really. You're just being real about, you know, you're... you're yeah. Um, we would love to, at some point, fly you out here and have you spend a weekend in that house to see. Obviously, you're a really busy guy, so this would take some planning. <laughs> um, yeah. But but at some point, we'd love to have you come out for a weekend and just, just yeah. experience some things. But the whole, you know, it's really crazy, and this and this was in the film too, because we also interviewed Doctor Die, who's a physicist at Jackson State in Mississippi, and um, and he had mentioned, you know, he asked Steve, our director, Steve Gonzalez, you know, it's not an earthquake, not an earth tremor, because um, all the balls would move. I mean, there wouldn't just be right. one object that would move. So if the house shifted, you would think more than one object would move, and that's the part that I have the biggest challenge with. It's right. like so what. Then the other piece of this, you know, I think for me one of the, the, the 
the challenge is, so it is a little bit language. And so I'm always a little careful. I, I know people like to use the word supernatural, but the, the, the thing I find funny about that is, from my mind, if you're interacting with a physical object, a ball, then we're talking about some type of physical interaction we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so that is just part of the physical world. So I like to call it maybe about, I, that's why I like the phrase unexplained phenomena much better, but yeah. that's just a personal pet peeve of language. But it is a true statement that, you know, all of physics is not understood. Um, and that's one of the fun things I like to explore, you know, on the podcast I do or when I talk about um, superheroes, but I think it applies here in the sense that, um, you know, I, I always talked about this as a kid. We know the world seems to be more than just four dimensions, three of space and one of time for us to really understand and explain sort of everything that's going on um, that we do know. Um, and that's, that's uh, you know, a hard thing to wrap your head around. We're used to that you can move up, right, you know, up, down, left, right, forward, back, and then there's time. And so what that fundamentally means, that there's more dimensions from my perspective, mm -hmm. is we don't really know if those other dimensions interact with R4 or not, what it means, or there are objects or things there. And it was interesting to see. I mean, it was just recently... Um, released, um, some people were looking at trying to understand dark matter. So this is what's really fun. You take something at the scale of the universe. We know there's matter out there that interacts with gravity, um, but doesn't interact with light and hence dark matter. Um, we don't know what it is. We're trying to explain it. Yeah. Um, one possible framework that people were working on is using some of these other dimensions to kind of explain where the dark matter is which then means that there are interactions um, between an additional dimension and R4. Mm. And so many of these things that we see as odd could be literally places where this is happening. Um, and, the, and there you get into some really interesting challenges from a physics perspective because it is fundamentally something new. It would be different, and so it would be unclear how to even measure it or what its properties would be. And it would most likely appear to be sort of random. So one way I think about it is, imagine you had a sheet of paper and you kind of threw a bouncy ball at it and the ball bounced around on the piece of paper. If you lived in that piece of paper as a two-dimensional object, right, you would experience random times and places where something hit you, right. not you, hit, you know, the paper. Yeah. And you'd be like, what's going on? So a lot of these phenomena, if it is true that it works out, that it turns out to be interactions between these other dimensions and ours, that could be something that's happening. So I, I, I think, I hope that image of the ball and the piece of paper makes sense. It did. the best way yeah, it was to connect a, to it. It definitely painted a great picture for me. I, I, I had clarity on that. Um what do you believe the possibilities like of of other dimensions um as far as like you know we had this dimension where me and you are sitting here talking right now what do you think about other dimensions where there is other people 
talking and living life that doesn't know about our dimension. Because sometimes we hear voices in that house. Um, right. Disembodied voices. Not, not, not EVPs that you pick up on digital recorders, although we do get those too. But we'll get random, and it doesn't happen a lot though, but we have had where there's only two of us in the house, and also we heard a third voice close. Like, I'm not talking about one off, you know, somebody cutting grass out in the distance yelling for the dog. Um, this is, you know, a close voice, and we've had whistles. Um, so do you believe it's possible as far as, um, physics goes that, that, we could be, you know, maybe some dimensions are merging and we're just getting a snapshot of something? You know, I, I think that's, the, I'll be honest, the short answer is personally I think it, it's possible. I think, you know, many of my physics colleagues <laughs> would probably really get a, a challenge me on that. But here, here's where I, I come from that, but I find it very hard to imagine exactly what's going on. So I'll, I'll kind of take it in two separate pieces. Yeah. Um, Piece one, you know, when I was growing up and, and early in my career, the, 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 the official line was, you know, life is really rare, you know, planets are rare, we don't see any out there, because we didn't have the tools to observe them. Now it's well known oh, yeah. that there are planets all over the place, because we finally have telescopes who can see them. And I, I personally think, you know, the fact that we have life right here on Earth is kind of proof that it, it exists in a certain range, and so we very likely have life on other planets. Right. Um, so, you know, that's kind of been an emerging change in view in the scientific community, but if you look backwards, it's sort of an obvious thing. Like, the universe is really big. You know, <laughs> it's likely that that happened. For me, I think the challenge is, right, what really are the structures of these other dimensions? And this is where... I just, I, I ended up a physicist, not a mathematician, because I can't picture things in 3D, <laughs> never mind in 4, 5, or 60. Right. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I'm the one who, like, will be shopping my wife, and I'm like, oh, yeah, why don't we get that? It's just like, it'll never fit, and she's right. <laughs> or, you know, um, the other way around. So, you know, some of the early theories of multiple dimensions, the additional dimensions all had to be really teeny and small. So in that, in those models it's hard to imagine okay what would that mean could there really be life etc what would that look like um some of the later ones are 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 exploring the idea of what they call extra um you know large extra dimensions and in that situation you really have to you know try and picture okay you know you're sort of trying to picture the standard you know xyz axes that are at 90 degrees to each other with another line that's also at 90 degrees to all of those, which is obviously, I, I just can't picture, and most people can't, but mathematicians <laughs> can. And and so what does it mean to live in that dimension, and where do they intersect? You know, it, it, you can't, in my mind, you can't rule it out, but it's still so early in the process that from a physics point of view, it's hard to imagine what it would be, if that mm, makes sense. It does. We also have... Um, Miss Alice, the homeowner, she's experienced two separate incidents where some light anomalies um, really scared her. Um, I mean, it was pretty prolific where, where there was something was hovering and, and it was it was pulsating lights coming out. And another episode where a tunnel of light where you would think, you know, if you, if you look, if you're in a dark room, pitch black, and you turn on a flashlight the beam of light that comes out of the flashlight will illuminate the whole room. I mean, I mean, um, right. Alice said that when it happened to her, the tunnel of light 
was just in one portion of the room, but the rest of the room remained black. It was just that one section where the tunnel of light came through that she saw. I've never experienced anything like that in that house, but I have seen strange little light anomalies a few times. As recently as a few weeks ago, we actually saw like a pulsating, like a strobe light almost. Um, not as fast as a strobe, does, you know, like, like a strobe light blinks. Right. A little bit slower, but it was in one corner of the room, and, and four or five people actually saw it. Um, and usually when you see something like that, you catch it for like a second or two, and then it disappears. But this time it was sustained. It was there for like 30 seconds. Enough time to where everybody can get a fix on it, and then it went away. So we don't know where it came from. or So I guess my question is, as a physicist, is there anything science-wise that can create something like these light anomalies we see in this house? You know, I think um, from both, whether you're you're thinking of sort of more conservative explanations to extra dimensions or something other, light anomalies are probably the easiest to imagine out of anything Uh um, from at least three different perspectives. One is um, certainly sort of randomly creating um, randomly creating light, I guess, it was what I was about to say. It sounded weird as it came out loud. <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of, you know, there's lots of different phenomena one can imagine because generating light is really just about getting charges to accelerate. Static electricity can happen through many ways, and then those charges can accelerate through many ways. So you can imagine lots of sources of light, and then depending how it happens, you know, your, your brain's going to have to try and interpret it. Um, and, and so, you know, that combination of the light actually getting generated some way and your brain trying to match it to something it knows, um, is easy to, to imagine. Um, now, you know, why there, how to explain it, all that gets harder. But it, but it's, it's sort of, you know, you, as a physicist on the plane, the conservative side, much more comfortable with that than, say, objects moving. And, and, and voices, right? I kind of put them in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can have situations, some of the, some of them can be something else going on, physics, that, that just triggers your brain in ways that your brain just interprets it as light. I mean, that's why there's a world of optical illusions. Doesn't mean it's fake and nothing happened, just means the explanation is actually not about light, it's about the way your brain was interpreting whatever it experienced. Interesting. Um, which is the other reason, you know, sort of observing light has a, a second way to be explained. And then the third is that, you know, if, if it turns out that this interaction between something happening in other dimensions and ours um, is a correct picture, in, in many ways, one of the, again, one of the easiest things to generate is light. Um, because you don't have to, you don't need a lot of mass to do it. You just need, you know, charged particles to accelerate in the right way and you get light. Now, if you're going to move a ball, you have to figure out how to interact with the mass of the ball. Um, and that's a fair amount of energy. But to generate light um, usually just takes kind of moving things at the right frequency or the right speed or the right way. Um, and those interactions are just kind of a little easier to imagine even if you're thinking about it from this multidimensional perspective. So from any sort of angle that you would think of a physics explanation for it, light is always... There's more options for explaining it. That's why I would claim it's easier to understand, even though none of them I could actually completely use to explain it without, you know, figuring out what else to do. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does. 
Do you believe that limestone, because there's a theory that limestone can harness energy, that can, it, can, it can absorb it and hold on to it, and then I don't know how it releases it or whatever, but there is some theories that say that limestone, there's an increased, um, around limestone, there's an increased activity with paranormal activity. Um, is it possible, as far as physics go, for limestone to, to I don't know, it's kind of like to... Um, maybe leave like, like 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 when there's snapshots of things that happen in time uh maybe let's say a let's just use a like a battle in the civil war if that war if that battle took place over where limestone was underneath the ground is it possible that um there's some residual energy even though the physical bodies are gone and limestone could have harnessed that and kind of play it back like a loop kind of like a like a recording you know i think if, if one kind of thinks about the various options and possibilities, I, I, it's unlikely in my mind that a particular material mm -hmm. is really governing this rather than particular places. You know, so I, I, I really think, you know, if, if there's something that, if it's not just, oh, we don't understand the actual physics of what's going on and it's all, quote, normal, if it's really something beyond what we consider common physics now, the most likely explanation in my mind really has to do something with extra dimensions, how we interact with those. And this is just a guess, obviously, but sure. I would say that's more having to do with where you are and that that happens to be a place where for whatever reason there's an interaction. Kind of like when we think about dark matter throughout the universe, the dark matters in certain places causing certain things to cluster rather than that it's a particular material that makes it. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of correlations that we find that turn out not to be the cause. So, you know, it, it's, it would not surprise me if, you know, not knowing what else to look for, we find, oh, this happens a lot around limestone, and then you kind of think limestone's the cause, when really there's a little bit of a coincidence and correlation that where this, whatever you need for the dimension effect to occur hmm. also happens to often be near limestone. Interesting. This is so fun to talk about. You know, and, and the thing about paranormal researchers, I mean, if, if they're not lying, the truth is all of it's speculation. I mean, nobody, nobody has the answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. No, well, it's, it, it's one of those interesting things where, you know, I've often thought about this. It's like, okay, if you don't know what... We know we don't know all the physics, and if you don't know what the physics is, and that's what's leading to whatever it is you're looking at, how do you even sort of conceive of making that big leap to measuring the right thing to understand it, if that makes sense? It does. It's, it's, um, yeah. Do you believe it's more likely that it's not spirits it's not and I, i'm not just talking about our location i'm talking about any alleged haunting um do you think there's it could is the possibility better that it's extraterrestrial than it would be spirits i think when all what, what i like to say is is I, i've had a weird switch in approach in my language like when, when we say spirits, I think one thing we haven't been very good in the past of defining what that means, right? So I, I do think it's, it's likely to 
Um, it, it could be something to do, like I said, with these extra dimensions. And then you have to ask the question, well, what does that really mean? Um, and then you have some other interesting, you know, options. So one thing that I, I need to learn more about, um, there's a, a philosopher, he's a maritime now, I believe he's retired, Don Hoffman at UCI. And you can, you can kind of look him up on YouTube. He's all over YouTube if you look up, um, conscious objects. Oh yeah, I will. Where, uh, um, why reality isn't real. <laughs> um, and he has a very interesting view that actually is consistent in many ways with our understanding of physics, but takes consciousness as the fundamental um, element of reality and that the physical reality we see is kind of like just our interface for exploring it. And the analogy he makes is the computer, right? If you look on your screen, you have an icon for a file. Well, the file's not that icon. The file is the ones and zeros in the silicon chips in the, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. in your computer. Um, but nobody wants to write emails and save files by going into their computer and moving ones and zeros. You do it with your keyboard and the screen that makes things, you know, look like they're real. And if you, if you take that, which is possibly a very valid view of reality, then you have a slightly different definition in my mind of spirits and sort of a natural way for this, which is they're basically conscious objects whose interface is kind of not really working or fuzzy or kind of broken, mm -hmm. right? And so you're, you're interacting with them, but through, you know, a, a cracked computer screen, as it were. Um, so there, there's this whole other direction that I've been kind of starting to explore lately that I want to learn a, a lot more about because, you know, bringing it back very briefly to my book. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> when it, one of the things I talk about is I think it's so important in any initial conversation of God and science and religion to take a step back and not ask the question, does God exist or not? But ask the question is, what is the nature of the fullness of reality? And if you ask that question, you realize there's probably more to reality than physical reality. Yeah. And then you can start answering interesting questions like what part of non-physical reality can interact with physical reality? And now you can start asking, okay, what would a spirit be? How would I define it scientifically? How would it then interact with reality? How is that different than having a creature that lives in an extra dimension that's very similar to our physical reality, but just in another dimension? So, you know, this obviously would take, you know, many hours in a pub and a lot of beer. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what, what are your thoughts on... What happens to us after we die? Do you believe that we that we re retain our consciousness after our physical body dies? I do, and 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 that's why I need to learn more a little bit about Don Hoffman's theory because I don't know if I'm just using the same words as him and it's similar, um, or if it's actually different. But I view it very much. You know, I I use my physics analogy. Um, you know, we know. Um, certain things are conserved through a process. So if I, if I interact a positron, which is anti, an anti-electron, antimatter version of an electron with an electron, I know that sounds like a Star Trek thing, but antimatter is real. Um, when I interact those two, I get two photons out the other side. So I start with an electron and a positron and I end up with two photons. 
and it sounds like the electrons are, are quote, dead and gone. But in fact, another way of looking at the system is I started with something with zero charge and I ended with something with zero charge. So from the perspective of charge, it just was conserved through the process. And so I do feel and believe that sort of who we are at a core, whatever our conscious self is, it is something that's conserved. And what you see is just a change of the form, and that's what death is. And so trying to figure out what that means is, so, you know, a positron and electron form of zero charge has certain interactions with the world. Two photons have a different set of behaviors, even though it's zero charge, um, both before and after. So unclear what your consciousness, what what does it really mean? Can it interact with the physical world still, or is it in just a completely different state? Um, what's it done? So that's that's my current sort of thoughts on that. I, I wholeheartedly agree too. I listened to you yeah. carefully, and I think it's I think it's extremely possible. And then your your um, analogy you used also it's like a, it's almost like a math equation. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think look, there, there are people out there. You know, you can look them up who are really like you know physical reality is all there is. It's just the electrons, and then when you die, you're gone, and it's over. And it's funny because when they make statements like that, they make it with such authority. And when I watch and listen to them, even those who are physicists or, or people who I know, you know, their, their, their conclusion is always a result of the fact that their assumption at the beginning was there's only physical objects and physical reality. And they may be right. That is a possible assumption. I just, I take a much bigger view and I'm honest about it. I think there's more to reality than just physical reality. And the right question is to ask, okay, what are the implications of that? And can I design any science experiments around it? So, Yeah, man. Interesting stuff. All right, so let's move on and talk about, you mentioned a little while ago about we, we do have the ability now to find um, extrasolar planets. I mean, in fact, they're saying now that they believe the majority of stars that our eyeballs can see have have planets revolving around them. Um, yep. That's pretty crazy. I mean, those math numbers all of a sudden really, really jump as far as as far as the amount of you know, as far as the possibility of life out there. Twenty five years ago, we we didn't know. I mean, we still had to guess. We, are we the only star system that has planets around it? But now it's um it's really changed, and and we're able to also the technology is getting to where we can see. Um, well, we can actually by 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 the the brightness of the star, they, they're they're able to get chemical you know compositions yeah. like what 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 some of the atmospheres might be. Um, so, with that being said, um, have you? I think you've always been open to the possibility of life on other planets, but are you more are you more encouraged now? Like more, almost more of a slam dunk out there. Oh, yeah, for me, it's a total slam dunk, and it's funny, it, it's my actual research area. I, I finally, you know, a year or two ago, made the connection that I should have made even longer ago, um, which was most people, when they estimate whether there's life on other planets, are, are doing the exact wrong calculation, right? Um, they think of this as what we call an equilibrium system, and they think of it as a purely random process. And it's certainly true 
if if life is about molecules randomly moving around and getting together, the probability of it happening is extremely small. And even though you have lots of planets out there, that makes the probability of life still small. It's the same statement as, this is my analogy, if you take a pan of oil and put it on your stove and just sit it there without turning the heat on, the probability of those molecules randomly forming convection rolls, which is where the fluid goes up and down in little circles and makes nice patterns when you look down at it, that's zero. Molecules don't do that. But if you heat it to a critical temperature from below, you can even get, if your pan is really uh, smooth, you can get nice hexagons. If your pan's not so smooth, you kind of get a random ugly-looking pattern. <laughs> um, if you were to predict, predict that from random, you know, by just looking at the statistics, you would say the probability of that happening is zero. But you happen to know from fluid dynamics, if you're actually putting energy in, heating the system from below, in a, in a certain range of temperatures, the probability of getting those hexagons jumps to one. And what I realized is, you know, we've always talked about this, and I gave, I've given talks my entire career on this. You know, the Earth is a driven system. It's like your hand being, your pan being heated from below. The sun is putting energy into the system, and we're also being cooled out into space. So we are a driven system that happens to be in a parameter range where we know the probability of getting life is one because it's here. Yep. Um, and so what that says is, I don't know how wide that parameter range is, but we know there is a range of parameters that you're just going to get life. That's the non-equilibrium state you get. Just like when you heat your pan, you know for a range of temperatures you're going to get convection rolls, and for another range you're not. And so there are plenty of planets out there in that parameter range. So I have no doubt that there's a ton of life out there. Um, the other thing, though, this, this is where I come on as the skeptic in the in ancient aliens. Yes. That's why I'm still invited as the friendly skeptic. We also know from non-equilibrium dynamics that, that this sort of sets a general time scale. And we know roughly that, well, we know we don't have space travel yet. Right. So we know roughly how long it would take to get space travel as a minimum. And we know how far apart the typical planets are. So it's also not surprising to me that we haven't run into anyone yet. Um, doesn't mean someone isn't on their way, mm -hmm. um, but they. Pro but the, the, if 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 the evolution is sort of happening at typical timescales around the galaxy, we sort of know that okay, yeah, it makes sense that you know even if someone's ahead of us in technology, maybe they're getting space flight, maybe they've already started exploring, but it still takes a certain amount of time before they get here. Um, and maybe we're ahead of everybody, right? And we'll be the first to go out. But um, so that's why I, I do put myself unequivocally. I believe there's life out there, I, and um, I'd probably put it at eighty percent that there's intelligent life out there, if not more. Um, but I also think, yeah, we're all a bit away from um, running into each other. I, I I definitely agree that there's. I mean, the, the universe is so massive. Um, it would either take like if there was another. Uh, planet that had intelligent life and even if they were a lot older than we are been around a lot longer they're still gonna have to especially if they're mortal i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to figure out um wormholes or light speed yeah, or to, something exactly yeah there's gonna have to be something to to uh to um remove <laughs> growing old and dying on the way here out of the equation yep. uh, <laughs> well, and i will say so that was my very scientific explanation, Brad, of why I believe there's life out there. My unscientific position that I've always held 
is clearly there has to be life out there, or that's just a lot of wasted space. Sure. Unbelievably, a whole lot of wasted space. What about the fact that we haven't heard signals yet, though? And do you think, and with that said, do you think now that we're able to pinpoint Goldilocks areas, you know, planets that are in that habitable zone, um, and we can maybe hone in more, do you think the chances go off that we may could hear some kind of... I, uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, signals, like, it, it just takes a lot of power. Um, it also, you know, again, there's this time scale, right? Remember, we're looking at these things well in the past. Yes, that's correct. Right, which is always the trick. So if people are getting technology around roughly the same time, you know, there is that slight dilemma, okay, that we are just now starting to be able to detect stuff from there, but that stuff left, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of years ago. Okay, so where are we? We're probably on the edge. So between us getting the technology to detect signals and other planets getting the technology to generate signals, um, I, I'm, I'm less hopeful in our lifetime we'll see that, but I, I think they're out there. And what's scary is there's going to be a planet out there that's going to hear, like, our first signals going to be like Adolf Hitler and stuff. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> and, and hopefully they don't listen to that. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, yeah, it's weird, right? You just don't know what you're going to be represented by. Oh, which my is God. why I love the movie Galaxy Quest so much. Yeah. Yeah, I like to have you. Did you see the movie Contact with Jodie Foster? You know what? I've only seen parts of it. I need to go back and watch that whole movie because it's such a good movie, and, and I've seen the parts, but I just need to see it all in one. Yeah, time. for sure. I mean, that, that's a great, great movie to sit down and just watch all the way through. Yeah. Um. All right. So we talked about UFO. We talked about. Let me scroll down through my notes to make sure I didn't. We talked about life after death. Uh, interdimensional. We did. What about time travel? What is your thoughts you know, on time travel? I, I still keep hoping for it. I mean, it's, it's one of those funny things that our understanding of general relativity, we cannot prove conclusively time travel doesn't exist. We know there are solutions of general relativity that allows for what are called closed time-like loops. But I, I really wonder what it would really look like. Like, because... Even if I manage to move back in time in my head, everything else is always moving forward in time. Do, do we exist at all times? And so I would actually go back to the past. Or if I could go into the past, is the past not there anymore because it's just moved into the future? I, I, I think the philosophy of time travel causes me more problems than the physics of time travel. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. It's definitely one of those things that I think, you know, if you look at what we've done as a society, we have mastered the control and manipulation of electricity and magnetism. There's four fundamental forces that we know of, gravity, electricity, magnetism, the nuclear, uh, and then the weak and strong forces. Um, the weak force, we have some control over. That gives us nuclear reactions and, and um, nuclear reactors and, and such. Um, we, we, we do massive, amazing things. Everything in our society these days is pretty much based on the fact that we can manipulate electricity and magnetism. A lot of that has to do with the fact that there's positive and negative charges, and so it makes it easy. Gravity is the key to both space travel and time travel, um, and it, it's tricky because at the moment, as far as we know, it's only attractive, which makes it really hard to control and leverage it for anything, and it's also incredibly weak. So, like, doing anything with it is really hard. So that's going to be, to me, the big physics-slash-technology breakthrough. If we can figure out how to manipulate gravity in any sort of reasonable way, then you're going to see some really interesting stuff happen. 
Yeah, you know, recently there was that object. Remember that 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 story where that object came into our solar system? It was like the first object to come through our solar system that wasn't from here. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and and I listened to an interview on CNN the other day. They had a professor from Harvard um, who's kind of going against all his brethren, and he believes it could have been extraterrestrial and they use like a like 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 in a, in a maybe like a light sail to where solar right um could it no, and, and, oh, go on finish yeah no no you go ahead and finish your thought that's really what i had to say no i was just gonna say yeah so that's something you know that would be a cool way to get space travel but like you said then we have to figure out how to live that long <laughs> or use you know time dilation to slow down local time which can work for us just means we wouldn't be able to see anyone back on earth again um, so I think we can do some, we, we, we might be able to do some cool exploration without gravity manipulation, but it'll make it so much darn easier if we can figure out how to control gravity. Or if, if it may not have, it may not have been people in it though, or, or aliens, it could have no, just been. No, that's true. You could send out, you can send out, you can certainly send out, you know, sort of probes in all sorts right. of interesting ways. Because that would be, I mean, if you think about it, that's why we send rovers. I mean, we we had the technology to put boots on the ground on Mars if we really wanted to and spend the money. Yeah. We can do it, but yeah. it's safer to send robots because the atmosphere is terrible. There's hardly any atmosphere on Mars. It's like 157 right. yeah. below zero. So a good way to explore would be send a probe out there that uses solar winds, um, solar energy, or however, and maybe just report back if they figured out how to get Because still, it takes a while to get signals back. Um, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's. I think. I think there's, and, and also our robots and everything are just getting that much better. For real. So that's clearly, clearly a cool way to do um, the solar exploration and, and extra solar, you know, out out past our solar system. Well, we've been chatting for about an hour. It was a fast hour, and I really, really had fun. Um, oh, me too, Brad. Always fun to chat about these things. Yeah, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show. We definitely want to get you back. Um, before I wrap it up, though, I want to give you an opportunity to um, touch on some things that I might have forgotten, and you want to talk about your book, where they can get your book, follow you, websites, things like that. Yeah, no, well, we touched on everything. The book is still available, you know, Amazon, anywhere online. Like you said, Divine Science, Finding Reason at the Heart of Faith. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Den and Michael. You just flipped my name. I'm more active on Twitter than Instagram, but I'm also there. Um, and then I just encourage people to go to fgbt.com so you can find the podcast in the normal podcast places. It seems to be easier to just get to it from the website for some reason. I will say we picked a very long name. You know, that's <laughs> the challenge of naming a podcast. Um, but we're just having a lot of fun. If you like any of this, you know, speculating on tech stuff, it's kind of a nice balance. There's, um, one of the guys is an engineer. He's worked for, you know, rocket companies and he works for a brain company now and then dan glenn is the guy who brings us together and, and just asks the interesting questions and i just get to have fun speculating on physics so um we we've done we've done we did for october we did a whole sort of horror movie month so we got into some of the paranormal paranormal nice. as it's displayed in movies um which you know may or may not then be relevant for real life but still fun to do um so yeah that that's kind of it and then just watch for me when I make the Olympic archery team. There you go. I was about to, I was about to, yeah, I was about to go there again and, and have fun with your archery. And uh, we'll look forward to your next Olympics on that for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Professor. I appreciate you joining me, man. Stay in touch, okay? 
Okay, you too. Thanks a lot, Brad. Take care, bud.